this song quickly became our song at camp. Everybody kind of fell in love with it. So uh, we're going to teach it to you this morning. Hope you enjoy
side. And they do a great job. You know, we have the best, the best worship team, the best youth band. They did a great job. Thank you all. Thanks for leading us again, and, and happy Father's Day to, to all you dads out there. This is a day that we ought to celebrate more often, and so we are glad that you came to, to join us today to worship with us. Uh, today we're going to be looking out of 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse number 7. So if you'd like, the, uh, like to, you can go ahead and turn there. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse number 7. Uh, back in 1999, there was a really interesting story. There were some game wardens over in Africa and they had, they had this reserve where they were protecting white rhinoceroses and uh, after a period of time they noticed about a third of them had been killed and they, they knew it wasn't po poachers because they were leaving the tusk in but what they discovered after some investigation is that it was a group of juvenile elephants that were killing the white rhinos now what had happened is years before they had brought in these white rhinos, these uh, elephants, young elephants because they'd been orphaned and so there were no bull elephants around, and as they began to grow older and they began to reach puberty and got their teenage years, they were wild and rebellious, and they would run around, and they were, whenever tourist buses would come through, they would attack the tourist buses. And then they started killing the white rhinos, and they were trying to figure out how do we control this problem. And so they came up with a great idea. They, they went to another reserve, and they got about six bull elephants and brought them in and so these were the adult elephants did not take long for these bull elephants to whip those juvenile elephants into shape and uh, before long they had a couple of standoffs guess who won the big boys won and so the juvenile elephants began to pay attention and do they fell into line with what the bull elephants had really were teaching them to do so they became less aggressive and they quit attacking people and rhinos which is a good thing now, I read that story, and I thought, man, what a great picture of a fatherly influence. I mean, there's some great things that dads bring to the table. And one of the things that they bring to the table is the ability to show their children, to show their young people how they are to live their lives and to conduct themselves. Now, I think that there are many of us, so many of you fathers, who do a great job in, in teaching your children things. You've You've taught them how to, you know, maybe handle finances or how to, how to work, how to treat people. And all those things are great things, but I think where many of us end up falling short is teaching our children about Jesus. And I'd have to say that just in general, not speaking of y'all, but, you know, like in general, we, we kind of falter in this area, and we can see this by the way young people behave in general. And... And I really don't put the onus so much on them, but instead upon the leadership that's guiding them. We can see how people live their lives, how, how they behave, how they treat other people. And we continually talk about it. It seems to be a downgrade in the way that people treat each other, the way that they work, the way that they live their lives. And I think one of the reasons why is because we need more and more fathers to give them the kind of example as to how to live. And if we're going to see change, I really believe one thing that we have to do is we be, have to begin to repaint the picture of what it means to be a godly man, of what it means to be a godly father. And I like the idea of repainting something or painting a portrait of something because if I want to know what something looks like, I, I, I'm one of those guys, I need to see a picture of it. 
And if you paint the picture of what a godly man looks like, then I am able to look at that picture and then say, do I, do I look like that? You know, do I measure up? Do I compare to what the Bible says is a godly man? And that's what we're going to see today in our scripture. We're going to see the Apostle Paul painting a picture for us to what a godly father looks like. And so that's why we're going to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And just a little background information, the Thessalonian people, because this is in modern-day Greece, but they were people just like, just like you and just like me, regular people, uh, but they had, they had some issues they were dealing with because of their faith. And for, if you go back and you read the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, you'll see these people were undergoing persecution against their, because of their faith. And the people didn't like them, but they were standing firm in their walk with God. And Paul commended them for this. In verse number 3, he said, We recall in the presence of God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how were they able to know how to live? How do these people in Thessalonica know how to live for God? The real simple reason why. Because they had spiritual fathers who went before them, who showed them through their own lives how to live in a way that be pleasing to God. And they copied them. Now, fathers, that is the kind of role you and I are to play in our families. We're to give the example of how to live for Jesus so that our kids can watch us and know how they are going to live. So, so how do we do this? Today I just want us to see a few, a few portraits of a godly father so that we can see if we are measuring up to that kind of a painting. And the very first portrait of a godly father is this. A godly father is able to express love. If you want to know if, you, if you're being a godly father, one of the components to that is you are able to express love. Now look with me in, uh, let's see, verse number 7. It says, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. Now, the typical picture of, you know, I guess of a man or of a father is one who's, you know, one who's tough. You know, one who is able to lay down the law. I, I still remember whenever I was a kid, and I'd get in trouble with my mother, and my mom would tell me, she would say, you just wait until your dad gets home. Uh, which, of course, my dad was always surprised. He didn't know that he's going to have to come home and be the, you know, be the bad guy. But when she said that, man, I dreaded dad coming home all the time. And so dad would pull in the garage, and I would run to my room because dad spanked a whole lot harder than my mom did. And so, man, when dad, dad was a lawgiver. Now, as you read through the Bible, you're going to find out that the Apostle Paul, well, he was a lawgiver. Now, you read some of these letters he wrote to the people, and he said, hey, you guys, some of you are not walking in a way that's worthy of God. And if you don't straighten up, if you don't repent, he said, when I get there, I'm going to deal with you. Now, I know that when I read stuff like that, I think, this guy sounds like a jerk. And why would anybody pay attention to Paul and do what he says? And it comes down to something that's very simple. The people followed the leadership of Paul because they knew that Paul loved and cared about them. And that makes all the difference in the world. 
You know, I'm willing to listen to somebody lay down the law with me if I know that they love me. If I know that they care for me. Now, some of the people in this town didn't like Paul. They wanted to get out from under his leadership, so they started telling stories about him. They said, oh, Paul, he's just interested in money. You know, he's just coming here preaching to us because he wants us to take up a, an offering and take all of our money. Now, was that true? Absolutely not. Um, I, we've said this so many times in here. Almost every time you read about Paul in the Bible, where is Paul? He's in jail. Now, why is he in jail? It's not because he had a bunch of speeding tickets. Y'all, he was in prison because he was talking about Jesus to people, and, and the government didn't like it, so they throw him into prison. Now, was Paul trying to get money out of all of this? Absolutely not. I mean, you wouldn't go through the stuff he went through if it was all about money. Matter of fact, we see what Paul went through in 2 Corinthians 12, 24 and following. It says, that's what Paul says. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent the night and the day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the open country, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. They're going to be hanging out with this guy. He says, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights. He said, I was hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. You think he's involved in all this stuff with the money? Y'all, I don't know about y'all. I'm a weenie. I mean, the 40 lashes minus one? No way I'm doing that. So why was he doing all this stuff? Why was he going through all of this stuff? Very simple. Because he loved people. He loved the people that he was ministering to. He was willing to put his life on the line for these people, literally, for these people. Now here's me. I'm willing to put a lot of things on the line if there's something I want. But it's not real often that I'm willing to put my life on the line. Now, you know, if our house is on fire or something like that and our kids are inside, now I'd, I'd like to think that I'm going to be willing to put my life on the line. I'm going to run in that house and get my kids. Now, why is that? Because I love them. You know, they're my flesh and blood. I care about them. Now, this isn't going to sound good, but if it's somebody else, I don't know if I'm going to be real quick to run into that house. If it's one of y'all, now, I'll pray for y'all. Lord, let that fire stop. But, you know, but put my life on the line. Now, why am I not so eager? Well, here's the deal. It's because they're not my children. You know, not, not a part of me. Now, I look at Paul, and Paul was willing to put his life on the line for these people because he saw himself as being their spiritual father. And if you look in verse number 7, he said that he was like a nursing mother nurturing her children. Now, now, why does a, a mother do that? Because she knows that if she doesn't feed that kid, that baby, that baby's not going to survive. So she has to give that child something to eat in order to be able to live. And she's willing to nurture that child because she cares for that child. Paul saw the Thessalonian Christians as baby Christians. He said, if they're going to survive, I've got to feed them. What's he going to feed them? God's Word. So teach them what Scripture had to say. Because he knew that in this world, if they did not have the things of God, the words of God to feast on, man, they're going to be empty. Their lives were going to be shallow. And you know, that's what the world offers us. The world offers us a lot of different things, so to speak, to fill us up, that we can eat, 
And we think, well, that'd be so good. And it feels our nature because, you know, I, I like it whenever people, you know, focus on me. When I feel like life revolves, when the world revolves around me, then I feel like I'm in my happy place. But you know what? It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't, doesn't fill me up. It doesn't give me satisfaction because what the world offers is only temporary. You know, there's a whole book in the Bible written about this book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon. So I've, I've had everything. And so he's, he put all of his efforts and energy into seeking after pleasure in life to fill him up. And you know what he said about it at the end? He said, it is like a chasing after the wind. He said, I'm looking for this pleasure to fill me up. He says, it's like me trying to grab wind. I can't do it. It doesn't satisfy me. In his book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, a guy named Eric Butterworth wrote about a sociology class in Maryland that went and interviewed 200 students, elementary students, in the slums of Baltimore. Each one of the students just about wrote about these young elementary students that they have no hope, no chance. 20 years later, that professor decided to revisit and see how these kids turned out. He found 100, 180 out of the 200. 176 out of the 180 that he found had become successful. You know, they came from the slums of Baltimore. They became successful. They're lawyers, doctors, teachers. He interviewed all of them. He said, well, what's the, what was the key ingredient to you becoming successful when you didn't stand a chance? They all pointed back to one teacher in particular. They said she made all the difference in the world to us. Uh, elementary teachers, hopefully this will be encouragement to you because I'm sure right now you think uh, all those kids, are, they're the, the spawn of Satan. But, you know, later on in life, you never know what's going to happen. They went and interviewed this teacher, and they said, what was the secret? How did these kids, they, you know, they said it was you. What happened? And she, here's what she had to say. It's really interesting. She said, I didn't do much. She said, I just loved those boys. I just loved them. Dads, let me tell you something. You know what our kids need to see? We need you to love them. Now, how, how can we show them that we love them? One, a good starting place is tell them. Can we just tell them you love them? Uh, they can tell that you love them by what you do for them. They, they can tell, they can see the love that you have for them by the way that you lead them. My encouragement for you is to lead your children into the church. Let your children see you reading Scripture and praying. Because as they see these things and they watch your life and they see the way that you treat them, they're going to know that God is your priority in life, not things. It's only God who fills. And so the first portrait I see of a godly father is it all starts off in that he's able to express love. But the second thing that I see is that he also shares his life. A godly father shares his life. Now, if you look in verse 8, here's what Paul said. He said, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you'd become dear to us. If you remember our labor and hardship, brothers, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you, we preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. A godly father is going to share his life at the stake. I look at Paul, in verse number 8, Paul says, we cared for you. That word care, it means to be desirous of. It means, uh, it means to yearn for. He yearned for his, children, his spiritual children. 
He was desirous for them to do well. You know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but those of your parents know what I'm talking about. There's just something special about, you know, about your kids. And that there's this connection that you have with them. And, and you want them to do well. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is you want them to do even better than you. And that's sort of, st- I'm, I mean, I'm pretty competitive. And so it's kind of strange for me, but I want my kids to do, I'd rejoice when my kids do well. Now, now, why is that? Well, it's very sense because I love my kids. Paul was desirous of the Thessalonian people, the Christians, to do well in life. Now, how, how did he help them do well? He told them about Jesus. He told them about Jesus. This is a reminder to me that if I really love my family, one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to expose my children to the things of God. Now, I'm going to tell my kids about Jesus. Why is that? Because Jesus is the answer to life. I mean, did you know that? He's the only hope we've got. He is the only hope we've got. Economy, houses, friendships, popularity, being good health, all those things. Those are also good, guys. You learn. If you haven't learned it yet, you will learn those things don't last. Jesus needs to be shared because he is our only hope. You know, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Paul wanted to share Jesus with his spiritual children because he knew that Jesus was the one who'd bring peace. Remember, these people are undergoing persecution in in Thessalonica. And they're getting the tar beat out of them. So Paul wanted to tell them about Jesus because he wanted wanted them to know that Jesus can bring you peace, even in the midst of hardship. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul said, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important that we share Jesus with our kids, but, but you know what makes that message so much more powerful? It's not just when we talk about Jesus, it's when we live Jesus. When we live the teachings of Christ, then that makes a difference. Paul said, I'm not only sharing Jesus. He said in verse number 8, I'm sharing my very life. What did they do? He said, we endured hardships for you. We labored for you. He said, I don't want to be a burden to you. What about financial burden to the people? He said, now you guys want to pay me? He said, if you pay me, he said, you can't afford it. So he, be, he got another job. He sacrificed for the people. I thought, man, parents, is that, that's what parents do. You sacrifice for your kids when you love them. Sacrifice your time. I know some of you parents, you, you spend time with your children on the ball field. I think some of y'all are crazy. You go to the ball field all the time. I mean, all the time I see some of you guys whenever I go to a, a ball field. And then there's others of you, and you, you make sure that your kids have the best that they can have so they can be prepared whenever they, they go off into college. You want them to have the best education. And then there's some of you who get on your knees and you're praying for your children that God will bless their lives. And as your kids begin to see you sacrificing and loving them like that, there's something that happens. Your kids begin to trust you. And they begin to understand that you're on their side, even whenever you discipline them. They begin to understand, you know what, he's, dad's on my side. A really interesting story, a powerful story to me. There's a pastor and his young son that were very close. 
and they did everything together, but the son became ill. And so the, the father took his son to the doctor, and, and after they ran a battery of tests, he found out the boy had a terminal illness. And the dad was devastated. And as you can imagine, he had to, he had to tell his son about the illness. And so he went to the hospital room, and he, and he told his son, said, son, the doctors told me that you don't have much time left. And uh, they, they had taught, and the boy was a, was a Christian, but the boy, when he heard the news, he began to cry. And the dad began to cry, and he said, son, he goes, are you scared to meet Jesus? And the boy, who was so close to his dad, he looked at him, and he said, no, dad, I'm not. He said, not if Jesus is anything like you. And as that, that is the role of a father. You see, whenever we love our kids, we are showing them Jesus. And they will be much more likely to follow the leadership of Jesus when they see how Jesus affects our lives. Now, what's the portrait of a godly father? He's able to express love. He shares his life. And it's the last thing. He also will provide godly instruction. A godly father provides godly instruction. In verse number 11, it says, As you know, like a father with his own children, he said, We encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul said, we, we are giving you instruction so you'll know how to walk worthy of God. Now, we all know that instruction is very important. Uh, without, without instruction, you know, we're not able to navigate very well. Any of you ever been driving anywhere and you, you, your directions didn't pan out very well and you end up getting lost? Isn't that a joy? You know, we have, uh, we have a Garmin, and there's been times when this stupid Garmin gives me the wrong directions. And I hate that woman on that Garmin machine. I'm like, she's a liar. Now, whenever you, whenever you get lost and you have the wrong directions, it is very frustrating. We have a lot of people going through life that don't have direction. What do they need? They need a dad who's going to tell them about the path that Jesus wants them on. Paul said, we have implored you, we have taught you, we are encouraging you in the ways of God. That word encourage is really interesting. It means to stand beside and to come to one's aid. That's what we do. We stand beside and we come to the aid of our children. It's like you put your arm around your kid and saying, I'm with you. I'll show you the way to go. I will guide you and direct you. I don't know if y'all seen the movie uh, 42, one about Jackie Robinson. First black baseball player in the major leagues. As you can imagine, whenever he came into the major leagues, he was jeered mercilessly. Life, death threats against him. Even whenever he played in front of his home team, I mean his home crowd, made an error in one game. The crowd began to boo and they're throwing things, just yelling at him. There's a white player on the team named Pee Wee Reese, very popular player. He saw what was going on. He walked over to Jackie Robinson and he put his arm around him and stared at the crowd. The crowd got quiet because they loved Pee Wee Reese. After that, nobody messed with Jackie Robinson anymore. Jackie Robinson said, that arm around my shoulder saved my career. Dad, let me tell you something. Your arm around the shoulder of your child very well may save his career. Very well may be the defining moment in his life when he is transformed and changed because Dad came alongside 
and said, I will stand with you. Now, notice when Paul said, I'm putting my arm around your shoulder, he didn't say, hey, you live like you want to, don't worry about it, I'm with you, I support you regardless. Not what Paul said. Paul said, I'm putting my arm around you, I'm encouraging you to walk worthy of God. Dads, our role is not just to put our arms around our kids and say, hey, I'm with you. It is to teach them so that they will walk worthy of God. I think some of us are afraid to do it because we we're embarrassed or we don't want our kids to, to get upset at us. We want to be popular with them. Or it could be that we don't want to teach them to walk worthy of God because we know, you know what, deep down, I'm not work, walking worthy of God either. Guys, let me tell you something. Time is quickly passing. When your kids are growing up and you're getting older and our kids need to know now so that they might honor God with their lives. It is time for us to paint the picture for our children what it looks like to live for God. And some of you might say, yep, I agree with that. You know what? I'm not there yet. What do I do? For some of you, it's time for you to, to give yourself to Jesus, first of all. And say, God, I, I've been living for me. But today, I give myself to you.